She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season four. Episode two. Home. In this episode, after an infant corpse is found buried in a field, Mulder and Scully are called in by the local sheriff to determine what's going on. The infant's body is deformed, but human, and the trail seems to lead to the farmhouse of a local reclusive family. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Friday, October 11th, 1996 at 9 p.m. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong and directed by Kim Manners. So we open and it's dark, it's night, and rain is pouring down over a rustic farmhouse that's got like a bunch of just like abandoned cars parked in the yard. Inside, a woman is laying on a table or a bed or something, and she is screaming because she is giving birth. And two men are standing over her and one reaches for a tool in like this bowl with a bunch of stuff in it. And it actually looks like he's grabbing a fork, to be honest. And then lightning flashes. And one of the men we can see is clearly disfigured. And he pulls up the baby out with like some like noises, lots of Foley effects in this. Not great sounding. Uh, I mean, they're good at Foley effects, but they sound gross. And then mm-hmm. other cuts yeah. the umbilical cord with a pair of scissors. And then we see three figures walk out of the room. And then we see the figures are outside. They trudge out of the house. And one of them, we assume, is carrying the infant because we can hear the infant still crying. And they head into a field and one digs a hole while another one stands by and is like weeping and crying. And then they basically bury the baby. And then one of them walks over into the other man who's crying and, you know, oh, and then, uh, 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 and then the theme song goes. So, yeah. Mm. So so the baby was crying. So they basically buried the baby alive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And it looks like all three of the dudes are disfigured once we see all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then we're in home, Pennsylvania, and a kid taps on home plate with his baseball bat. Hey, and- it's like Aubrey. Home is the the title is the place is the town, not a person or a place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not like home is in someone's home. It's like the although city or the, sorry, this town. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. It could have multiple meetings. Yes. <laughs> so a bunch of kids are like in this muddy patch of field and they're playing baseball and a kid taps the home plate with his bat. And one of the kids complains, but another's like, stop whining. We already moved home plate because you bitched about the mud. So like clearly they're not having a good time or at least one of them is not having a good also, time. Also X-Files is being edgy because we're having kids say bitched. So <laughs> And the pitcher throws the ball and the batter hits it and it flies over the wire fence that like surrounds the field. And one of the kids like runs up and like stares over the fence. And one of the others is like, hey, come on, like go get the ball. But the kid yells back that the ball went on the Peacock's property. And the kids all kind of stand silent. And another kid finds another ball. like He pulls it out. And so they don't have to go get the ball from this property. Meanwhile, the kid at home plate grabs a handful of mud and then he keeps digging his foot into the mud near the plate and suddenly blood comes up out of the ground. So he's like, ew, and backs away and we see this tiny little hand sticking up out of the mud. Gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. So then we see Mulder and he's in a field which we will learn is the field. And he picks up a baseball. And basically for the entire course of what I'm about to tell you, Mulder is just like, mm, like he's playing baseball. He's like practicing pitching and looking at the ball <laughs> and like trying like, you know, 
different holds on the ball, knuckleballs, and, you know, whatever, right? The whole time. Meanwhile, Scully is bent over what we're going to call the grave, where the little infant was buried and measured with a measuring tape and, like, writing down notes and all that kind of stuff. And then we can see some of the Peacock family out on their porch, because obviously that is the house that we saw in the opening. So... Yeah. And then Scully tells Mulder that based on compression marks, she guesses the shovel blade was six and three quarter inches and the angle of movement suggests left handed individual. And then Scully also collected some soil samples. And although there are numerous shoe impressions from the little sandlot game the kids were having, she thinks that if they take some dental stone casts, this will prove invaluable because I'll get some casts of the other footprints there. And then Mulder's just like still looking at the ball and he's tossing in the air and playing with the ball. And basically, he's not paying attention to her at all. And then as Scully keeps going, she's talking about the stuff. She's kind of like, and I quit the FBI and become a spokesperson for the ab roller. And Mulder's like, smell that. He holds the ball up in front of her nose. And he's like, oh, the ball. And then he says, it brings back lots of memories with his sister, playing pickup games, riding bikes. The only place you had to be was home in time for dinner. No modems, no faxes, no cell phones. And Scully is like, Mulder, if you had to live without a cell phone for two minutes, you'd collapse into a state of canatotic schizophrenia. And Mulder's like, you don't know me as well as you think. My job demands living in the city. But if I ever had to settle down and build a home, it would be in a place like this. And Scully is like, that would be like living in Mayberry. And then a sheriff gets out of the truck that is pulled up while they're talking and he knows who they are and then introduces himself as Sheriff Andy Taylor. And Mulder is like, really? <laughs> so anyway, he thanks them for coming. And it's just him and his deputy. And they've never had anything of this nature. Scully asks if he has any thoughts or suspects. And he tells her the population of home is only a few hundred. Everyone knows everyone. Mulder is still watching like the peacocks on their porch while Scully asks the sheriff if he knows of any local women who were pregnant, but suddenly aren't. And he says, nope. And he actually names off two other women who would be pregnant in the Yeah, town. it's a really, really tiny town. So, yeah, he knows exactly who they would be. Yeah. And like, oh, nope, she already gave birth and the baby's fine and whatever. So, he yes. Yeah. So Mulder points to that farmhouse and it's like, well, who lives there? And like, have you questioned any of them? Because they've been watching them like the whole time that they've been talking. So Taylor says that that farm belongs to the Peacock family. Three boys now. He says, well, men, actually, at this point, he guesses you could call them human, which seems like a strange thing to say, mm -hmm. honestly. And he's like, the folks were in a car wreck 10 years ago, and we suppose they died. And Scully is like, you suppose? <laughs> and he's like, we tried to administer medical attention, but the Peacock boys hauled the bodies away. They haven't been seen in 10 years, so we suppose they died. And Scully's like, well, did you question the men? And Taylor tells her the Peacocks built that farm during the Civil War. It still has no electricity or running water. They grow their own food, raise their own pigs, breed their own cows, and raise and breed their own stock, if you get his meaning. So Scully says that it's still the residence closest to the crime scene. And Taylor tells her that those men are feeble and sad, meaning like not like sad, like cry, cry, but like it's sad because they're feeble and they wouldn't have any idea what he was talking about. Scully presses him saying they could have witnessed something. And he cuts her off and says that home is peaceful and quiet. He knew someday the larger world would discover their town and burst in. And when he found that infant body, he knew that day had come. He wants to find out who did this but he'd like it if they could do it with minimal disruption to how things are done around here. He also knows it's kind of iffy bureau jurisdiction, but he didn't know who else to turn to. So he called the bureau in Pittsburgh. And then when he described the victim, the FBI said, you need to talk to Mulder and Scully. And so that's why they came. Mm -hmm. And Mulder says, well, maybe we should take a look at the victim. So, yeah, I don't know why he needed to call the FBI. Like, wouldn't you like maybe go to the County first and then the state? Yeah, you would think Jump you right would the call like county or like the nearest city and maybe yeah. there. He's a sheriff. So I don't know if he's a county sheriff or just a town sheriff. I don't know what that is, but like I just go up the rung until you like FBI is like national, right? That's like it seems like there should be some other levels. So, but, yeah, uh, we need it for the show. Yeah, obviously. But yeah, 
Sheriff Taylor is played by Tucker Smallwood, who will also appear on one episode of Millennium. He's also been on Wings, Diagnosis Murder, Star Trek Voyager, and Enterprise, and Malcolm in the Middle, among others. Yes. And Andy Taylor is also the name of the small town sheriff, played by Andy Griffith on The Andrew Griffith Show. That Mm -hmm. town was obviously called Mayberry in that show. Sheriff Andy Taylor also had a deputy. Yeah. And there's probably a reason I'm bringing that up. Yeah. 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 Definitely a very blatant reference. So the sheriff pulls the infant's body out of the break room refrigerator and Taylor tells him, like, we don't have a lab or a morgue. So, like, they didn't have any other place to put it. I don't know how you don't have a morgue. I guess you would just send bodies to the next town over to the morgue or the funeral home or something but that seems a little weird i guess it's a very very tiny town maybe they just have a funeral home yeah maybe and we also find out that he's trying to keep it quiet about what happened a little bit yeah Yeah. so he does have a room that might be a little cleaner where they can examine the body and so he starts to lead them there and on the way they run into his deputy and his deputy's name barney so Mulder jokingly asks if his last name is Fife, but Barney, annoyed, says no, Pastor. Yeah. So clearly he's heard that joke before, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> when he pulls the baby out of the fridge, like I'm always looking like what's in people's fridges, especially like on TV, but just in, in real life too. I'm curious, like what's in people's fridges? And in this one, there's just cans of spam in the fridge, which mm-hmm. is really yeah. weird to me. because cans he- of spam in there. Spam, it doesn't need to be refrigerated before it's open. So I don't right. know why the cans of spam are just maybe someone really likes to eat their spam cold out of the fridge. I don't know, but it's just really maybe they like to it me. to be really jelly and not have the jelly be kind of I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. the only way I've ever eaten spam is like fried and like very hot. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've I've eaten it not fried on but almost entirely on sandwiches. Like sometimes Sometimes you don't got time to fry it on a sandwich. And so you just slice it and put it on a sandwich. It's fine. Well, I just have questions about why someone's keeping their unopened spam in the fridge. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know because they're not open. So. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, not sure. Anyway, just an interesting little detail that someone in the set design was just like, let's put cans of spam in there. That's what small town people Maybe eat, some right? people put it in their <laughs> fridge. I don't know. They're it's like, oh, possible. it's meat. You're supposed to put it in the fridge. I, I mean, that yeah, it's true. That is true. Yeah. So I don't, know. I don't know. So Taylor brings the tray into a tiny bathroom and places it on the sink. And it's a very small bathroom. Like it is maybe a foot bigger than like an airplane bathroom. It's very small. So Scully's like, I could actually use a little more elbow room. And Taylor says that some folks have been pressuring them to drop the case and he doesn't want anyone to see. So like, that's why it's a space where no one's going to like walk in. So he doesn't want to put her in like a conference room or something. He leaves. So Scully pulls on gloves and she pulls the fabric off the body and it's like, oh my God. And Mulder looks away and she's like, it looks like this child was affected by every rare birth defect known to science. And she's like, I'll have to order DNA from the crime lab but I don't even know where to begin. And Mulder's like, well, I guess we can rule out murder as the cause of death. But Scully isn't so sure about that. She notes that there's dirt in the nose and mouth of the infant, indicating it may have been inhaled. Hmm. So it's a little dark. Also, we saw the baby crying. Yeah, well, we know that, but they don't know that, right? Yeah. So they walk out of the sheriff's building, obviously a little bit later, and Scully ruminates on how sad it is that nature turns so cruel on that infant. What must a mother go through? And Mulder says, well, not much if she just threw it out with the trash. And they sit on a bench and Scully says, oh, I guess I was just projecting. And Mulder asks if there's a history of genetic abnormalities in her family. And she says no. And he smiles and he's like, well, just find yourself a man with a spotless genetic makeup and a really high tolerance for being second guest and start pumping out the little Uber Scullies, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, So she smiles and then she kind of asks about his family and Mulder says, well, you know, aside from the need of corrective lenses and a tendency to be abducted by extraterrestrials involved in an international government conspiracy, the Mulder family passes genetic muster. Yeah. And red, green color blindness. So (laughs) although that is an X carrier trait, so men can only inherit color blindness if their mother is colorblind or is a carrier of the gene. Okay. So I guess if he's thinking the Mulder family, he's thinking from his father's side, 
then I guess that would be because obviously his mother either was his mother. We assume his mother is not colorblind, but if she was obviously carrying an X gene that was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because even if the father is colorblind, the sons cannot be colorblind unless the mother is a carrier or also colorblind. Yeah. Mulder says the baby inside is a tragedy, but it was probably discarded by the young parents, likely scared kids. Infant side may be involved, but this isn't an FBI matter. And Scully says that from what she knows of genetic defects, it's unlikely the kid is the result of a single polygenic mating. And Mulder tells her they should let the local authorities investigate that. But Scully says those defects are autosomal dominant disorders. And from the degree seen, probably mutations that go back many generations. And Mulder says that Taylor implied the peacock men weren't the type to readily get dates. So like they're not out on the town with ladies. And Scully says he also implied they practice inbreeding, but Mulder points out that there's no sister and the mother is dead, so there's no one to breed with. And Scully believes it's possible the woman who gave birth to that child may have done so against her will. And Mulder's like, ah, and kidnapping is a bureau matter. So Scully gets up and Mulder calls after her, and he's like, I never saw you as a mother before. Mm. Interesting little, yeah, hmm. Mm. Maybe he's mm. having some thoughts. <laughs> Maybe. Mm. Maybe. So Mulder and Scully arrive at the Peacock home and Scully notices one of the cars parked in the yard doesn't have a license plate. And then as they go up to the house, there's a pig head on the porch stairs, like just a chopped off pig head. Mm-hmm. It flies all over it. And they knock on the door, but there's no answer. And so Mulder starts to open the door, but Scully is like, we can't, we can't just do that, Mulder. There's no probable cause. So then he pulls out his flashlight and they use it to look through the window of the door. And we see a bunch of stuff piled in the sink. But then they see a pair of scissors on a table sitting in what looks like blood. <gasps> so oh. blood, blood's probable cause. So they mm-hmm. go inside. So Mulder puts the scissors in an evidence bag. And then Scully notes that bloody shoe prints are tracked all on the floor. And then she pulls out a photo of one of the prints that were in the field around where the baby was found. And she's like, they match. They, I, don't, I don't know if they actually do match, but they, they have to. The pictures don't really seem to match, but they're close enough, I guess. Anyway, there's a shovel with traces of mud and blood. And Scully's like, this room alone should be enough to convict them. And Mulder's like, well, if we can find them, they probably bolted as soon as they saw us coming. And then they talk about issuing an APB of, for the men. And possibly a missing woman. And they walk around with flashlights. And then as they leave, we see that someone is tucked away watching them. We see their eyes. And so they've heard everything that Mulder and Scully said. Mm-hmm. It's a commercial. And then we come back and we're at Sheriff Taylor's residence on three sweet gum lane. And Taylor is on the phone with Scully, who's back at a motel. And he tells her that he's issued the arrest warrants for Raymond Peacock, approximate age 30, Sherman Peacock, age 26, and Edmund Peacock, age 42. Scully asks what about the missing persons report and is told that Deputy Pastor is on it. Scully asks if over the past eight to 10 months they found any vehicles they thought were abandoned but might belong to kidnapped victims. And she mentions the white Cadillac in the Peacock's yard. That's the one that didn't have a license plate. All the other cars were pretty much wrecked and like on Mm -hmm. something like that. So Taylor says they get a lot of those cars break down. People move on. Scully says they'll check on that in the morning and tells them to get some sleep. And so they hang up and then Taylor pulls a box out of a drawer at his desk. And inside is a revolver. Flips it open, checks it. It's fully loaded, closes it. He puts it back in the box. Out of curiosity, I looked up Sweet Gum Lane because I was wondering if that was also like a Mayberry thing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find confirmation of that, so I don't know. But I did find out that Sweet Gum is a super popular name for streets, apparently, <laughs> in the United States. Including a couple relatively nearby me, a Sweet Gum Street and a Sweet Gum Way. There's really? a lot of them, like in New York. I was thinking it was going to be like a Southern thing, even though this is in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. But they're like everywhere. So Oh, interesting. And then, just because I was curious, the sweet gum tree is native to the southeastern United States and a member of a genus that is only made up of six species. And all the other species, the other five, are all only found in Asia. So there's only one species here in the United States. And the first historical reference to the tree comes from the author and soldier Don Bernal Diaz del Castillo, 
who accompanied Cortez in 1519 and was witness to ceremonies between Cortez and Montezuma, both of who partook in a liquid amber extracted from a sweet gum tree. So apparently it also existed in like Central America. The tree itself was first noticed and recorded by the historian Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca in 1452. It was once a popular tree for soaps, adhesives, and pharmaceuticals. And today its wood is valuable for fine furniture and interior finishing. Oh, nice. Learned a little about the sweet gum tree. I don't know that yeah. I've ever seen one. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, I don't know what they look like. I didn't actually go that far. <laughs> but yeah, I was assuming I, the fact that we are in Pennsylvania, I forgot we were in Pennsylvania. I was kind of thinking we were like in like the southern part of the United States. But the tree itself is apparently like a southeastern thing. But apparently also was like, you know, back in the 1500s was like, you know, in Central America. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so at the Peacock's residence, the Peacock boys come out. And open the trunk of the Cadillac. And it's nighttime now. And they're putting what looked like Fred Flintstone clubs in the trunk, honestly. <laughs> and then they suck some gas out of a can. I guess. I don't know what they're doing. Anyway, and they apparently are filling up the car's tank. So. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. So back in the motel room, Mulder is fiddling with the antenna on the TV and Scully approaches and he's like, don't move because he's like trying to get reception. So he doesn't want her to walk up and like block the reception that he's almost getting. But unfortunately, he's unable to get a picture. So Scully jokes about whether he's still planning to make a home out here since he can't get cable. Obviously, he can't watch like a game or whatever he's trying to watch. And Scully says goodnight and she starts to leave. But then she notices that the lock on his door is broken. And Mulder's like, you don't have to lock your doors around here. And so Scully leaves. And then as soon as she's gone, Mulder moves a chair beneath the doorknob to kind of keep people from opening it and getting it. Mm-hmm. So back at the Peacocks, they've gotten in the car and they drive off. Ooh. Meanwhile, we see that Sheriff Taylor is sitting outside on his porch and his wife opens the door and asks what he's doing. And he says he's taking one last look before it all changes. And she tells him to come back to bed and leads him inside. And they shut the door, but they don't lock it. (gasps) Lock your doors. Lock your doors. And meanwhile, the peacocks drive. And that is interspersed with Scully sleeping and Mulder attempting to watch TV with a bad signal. So we get those scenes. Yeah, he's getting audio, but not a great picture. No. So Taylor is trying to sleep when we hear the music that was playing in the Peacock's car, which then becomes audible outside and then headlights shine through his bedroom window. So he goes to the window and he sees the empty white Cadillac and it's like parked on his lawn. They just like drove up onto his yard and the radio is still playing. And then his wife is like, what is it? And he tells her to hide under the bed. He's going to get the gun. So Ooh, scary, right? I mean, your husband tells you to hide under the bed. I'm going to get my gun. That's not something you want to hear, probably. No. Yeah. So on the stairs, he sees the figures approach and the front door opens because they didn't lock it. So then he heads back upstairs. I guess his gun like is in his desk downstairs, right? So Uh he heads back upstairs and he grabs a baseball bat and is standing by the bedroom door, just like waiting. And then the door opens and he smacks one of the peacocks right in the chest. But it doesn't seem to do anything. He's like, he's like, oh, and then the man pushes him on the ground and then he gets up and he hits him again. But then the other two rush in and just start beating him with their own bats and clubs. And the wife is in the bed watching and we hear like gross, wet sounds. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's there's pretty blood graphic. everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. And then one of the peacocks starts sniffing the air like he's a dog or something. And then we see the blood is like moving across the floor and it gets on the wife's hand. And so they see her hand sticking out from under the bed. So they lift up the bed and you start wailing on her. And then we like pan outside and they leave and get in their car and go. Yeah. Very brutal. Very brutal. So the next day, Deputy Pastor is at the scene and he's smoking a cigarette with really shaky hands. He's clearly having a hard time. And Mulder and Scully arrive 
And Mulder notes the tire tracks in the grass from the Cadillac, because obviously they drove up on the lawn. And Pastor says he came over to give Taylor some reports and he found the bodies. So then he gives the reports to them. The owner of the Cadillac was found alive and well in Baltimore. She ran out of gas and left the car on the 119, which to me, I know this is a thing that happens, but it is so inexplicable to me to just like run out of gas and abandon your car completely and never come back for it. Well, she says she left it on the 119. She may have been walking to get some gas. And when she came back, the car was gone. That's true. That's true. Or maybe she like was going to get it towed. And then when the tow truck arrived back, it wasn't there. Yeah, I didn't actually look to see where the 119 is. And I actually don't know if home Pennsylvania is real. I didn't look that up either, but I'm going to assume that this happened really close to where they're at. And so that's when they found the car and were like, Ooh, sweet car. And I took it. Yeah. That's so. that makes more sense. Cause I was just like, well, he says people abandon their cars all the time. I'm just like, this seems so weird to me, but okay. And then other possible missing persons are in the file. And he hands Scully an envelope that came from the crime lab overnight. Mulder asks where the tailors are and pastors like inside. So Mulder looks at Sheriff Taylor's body and he says there are wood shavings in what's left of his skull. And the wife's legs are sticking out from under the mattress. And Mulder's like, man, they really went cavemen on them. Scully looks at the lab results that are in the envelope that Pastor gave her and says they screwed up the DNA test. Scully says the child's DNA would have had to divide triple fold to get these results. And Mulder's like, well, what if all three Peacock brothers were the father? And Scully's like, well, Mulder, only one sperm can fertilize an egg. So she's giving him some basic science. And Mulder wonders if generations of autosomal breeding could produce some kind of mutation that would allow three sperm to fertilize one egg. And Scully says for that to be even remotely possible, it would have to be combined with a weakening of the ovum, which means the mother would also have to be a peacock and there aren't any female peacocks left. Mm. Yeah. So keep that in mind, I guess. Put that in your hat. <laughs> and smoke it or whatever yeah. you do. Whatever Call you it do. macaroni, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Mulder suggests they request backup from Pittsburgh and go pick up the peacocks. Scully thinks that will take too long. If they have a woman captive who gave birth, she could be horribly injured. And Mulder says they're outnumbered and going there alone could endanger the victim. Pastor walks in. He's clearly heard this and he says he'll go with them. He pulls out a gun and he's like, that should give them the advantage. So he wants revenge, clearly. Mm -hmm. So they start to leave, but Scully stops and she asks Mulder why the peacocks would kill Taylor. He didn't even question them about the buried infant. And Mulder's like, well, maybe they heard about the warrants. But Scully points out they wouldn't know unless they overheard them talking about it. And Mulder's like, well, we searched the house. No one was there. So I don't know what happened. I know what happened. Mulder and Scully <laughs> did a shoddy job of searching the house. Yes, they did. They did not search yes. very thoroughly. No. And so they got the sheriff and his wife killed, basically, is what happened. Well, I'm not going to blame them for what the Peacocks did. No, I mean, you can't blame them for what other people did, but yeah. yeah. At the Peacock house, the figure who was under the bed says, I'm hungry. One of the boys breaks off some bread, chews it, and then regurgitates it into that person's mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And the person under the bed says, all right, I'm ready. And the Peacock boys take off their shirts. And the person under the bed says, we knew this day would come. All they can do is be ready and let them know that this is their home and this is the way it's going to stay. And then they file out, leaving the person under the bed. And it's a commercial. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why they had to take their shirts off. I don't know. <laughs> I thought something else was going to happen. And I was like, no, thanks. But like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, yeah, they all leave. And I'm. <laughs> Well, I thought, like, are they naked? Like, are they just <laughs> naked going to leave? But then when you see them, they have pants on. Like, you can mm -hmm. see their feet. And so they just, but they took their shirts off. I'm not sure why. But yeah. Anyway, so Mulder and Scully and Pastor arrive. And they sneak up in some tall grass. And Scully sees one of them through binoculars. And she says they're up at the farm. Pastor puts on a bulletproof vest and says he'll take this one. Get their attention while Mulder and Scully approach around the back. Scully's like, are these vests really necessary? 
And Pastor says that he's seen them fire muskets before, and he's not going to be taken out by an antique. And he heads off. And his <laughs> audio, when he says that, they cut back and forth between him and Scully, and then in Mulder while he's talking. And when he says, I've seen them fire muskets before, his audio is out of sync. Like his mouth is moving and then his words aren't coming out in the right place. But then when we, oh. when we cut the older, it's actually synced. So I guess they were just probably between the multiple cameras and then they had to loop the audio to match, but they didn't match it exactly. Mm-hmm. So because it's only in that one little bit when he's standing over Scully, yeah. but it doesn't match. So yeah. So it's not like an audio glitch or something like that. They just didn't edit it. Great. Anyway, Pastor approaches from the front, gun drawn. Mulder and Scully are wearing their vest. They put them on and they go around the back. And then one of the peacocks goes inside. So they, I guess they were all out in the yard. And then Pastor runs across the front lawn in front of, to the front door. He ducks behind a car. Mulder lets him know they're getting into position. And then Scully stops behind a dirty old chicken coop and uses the binoculars to look into the house from the back, I guess, and says she doesn't see any movement inside. So then Pastor goes up to the steps of the front porch and he pulls open the screen door and then he slowly edges the front door open. And through the binoculars and apparently like through a window, Scully is able to see into the house and she sees a line attached to the door from the inside. And so I guess they're all wearing radios and she tells Pastor like, don't open the door. But he does. And an axe comes flying out and chops his head off. Whoa. Yeah. And Scully goes up to Mulder and is like, Pastor's dead. And the peacocks moved on him like a pack of animals. And then we see them like, like hacking away at Pastor. I don't know if they're chopping him up or beating on his body or what they're doing. And Mulder says they're witnessing animalistic behavior. And then he repeats verbatim the narration from his wildlife documentary he was watching. And then he says that he and Scully are outsiders trying to take away their one chance at reproducing. And Scully guesses the house is rigged with traps. And Mulder's like, well, then we're going to try and divert them to get out of the house. So... I am sorry. There is no way with her like dollar store <laughs> binoculars or like any binoculars really that she was able to look through the back of the house and see the front door like that from that angle or even from that clarity and see like the wire before he comes in. I'm sorry. It's not happening. So, yeah. <laughs> but it did happen. We saw it. <laughs> Their house has got to be like later because we see that while, while Scully and Mulder are talking, we see like them like, you know, wailing on the body, whether they're chopping it or beating or whatever like that. And it's like, okay, their house is like five feet big because like there's a window and then we see them and there's the front door. And you're like, what? Come on. We saw them inside the house before. It's not that small. But anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> so Mulder and Scully open the gate to the pig pen. And Mulder jokingly asks if Scully would think less of him as a man if he was kind of excited right now. And Scully gives him a look that says, yes, she would. They try to push the pigs because they're trying they're trying to get the pigs out of the pen to create a distraction. And so they're like pushing on the pigs, but the pigs don't want to move. So it's actually kind of funny. But then finally, some of the pigs do actually run out of the pen. And so Mulder and Scully, like once the pigs are out, duck down as one of the peacocks comes out of the house and he sees the pigs running free. So he like calls to his brothers and it's like, pigs are out or whatever. He doesn't say that. But, yeah. You know. Cause he was apparently like going to wash all the blood off his hands with the water pump. That's why he was outside. So mm-hmm. yeah. So then all the peacocks are running around chasing the pigs and Mulder and Scully run up the stairs to the back porch and they open the door slowly using a piece of wood. So obviously they're not like going into another trap and a spear flies into the wood and nails it to the door. It must be hard for them to get in and out of their house if they have to deactivate traps every single time. That seems. Oh, I think it was more of like they knew they were coming, and so they set it up now, kind of. Yeah, that being always there. That I guess that's why they took off their shirts so they could set up the traps. I guess because they have their shirts on now, so I don't. I don't know what the no shirt thing was. (laughs) I don't know why they needed their shirts off, but apparently that's how they set up traps. Because they they were gonna. They were getting to work, and you don't want to get your shirt all sweaty, even though you don't care about cleaning your house and there's flies everywhere and it's gross. But oh, it's so gross. (laughs) So they head inside with their guns drawn, and Mulder stops to remove the wood and close the door. And inside, with their guns and flashlights drawn, Scully identifies them as federal agents and calls out to see if anyone's there. Because they think they may still have a kidnapped woman, like, trapped in there. So that's Mm -hmm. why. But no one responds. And inside a bedroom, Mulder says, oh, no. And he holds up an old newspaper announcing Elvis's death. And he makes a pouty face. Like, he's very sad about (laughs) Elvis. Which was funny. It was a good little, little bit. But then they hear something and they head towards the noise. 
And Scully sees family photos on the wall, including some that feature disfigured people. And Mulder notices an indent on the floor that leads under the bed. So Mulder bends down and the woman who's under the bed starts screaming, no, get away. And Mulder tells her that they're federal agents and they're there to help. And she keeps screaming at them to go away. And Mulder, like, she's on, like, this rolling board thing. And so he pulls out the rolling board that she's on. And we see that the woman's limbs have all been amputated. And Mulder's like, we're going to make sure you're safe and make sure you get home. And Scully looks at one of the photos and then back at the woman and says, Mulder, she already is home. That's Miss Peacock. She's their mother. And then Miss Peacock rolls herself back under the bed crying. Dennis commercial. So Mulder, thinking the boys probably heard the screams, goes back to check on their position. And Scully asks, what about Mrs. Peacock? But Mulder says, like, she's not going anywhere. <laughs> and Mulder assumes. It's kind and, of, and, it's uh, awful anyway. Yeah, well, al- well, also, we should probably, we should probably clarify, like, after she, after she rolls herself back into the bed, we focus on Mulder, who is just like, he is kind of a little traumatized by what's gone on. And I think he's, he's a had little wigged real- out. Yeah. I think he's had maybe some realizations too, because then he says, after he says she's not going anywhere, he says she's probably an accessory to murder. Right. So she's in on it. She knows what's going on. And Scully says they can't prove anything. And Scully thinks that maybe Edmund is the father of the younger two, which would mean he would have had him in like 12 based on the ages. But anyway, because when he's 42, the other one's supposed to be 30, supposedly. But I mean, it's mm-hmm. possible. Mulder tells Scully that those men killed three people. And he says that she should go talk to Mrs. Peacock and tell her they're trying to bring the boys in and convince her that there's only one way she can get out of this without getting hurt. And that Mulder will keep an eye on the men who are still like trying to wrangle the pigs. So Scully goes back to the bedroom and the camera pans over a tripwire that's rigged with a wooden stake further down the hall. <gasps> I don't know, that might be like Chekhov's wooden stake. We'll find out. And so Scully tells Mrs. Peacock that she's in need of medical attention and that they're there to help. Mrs. Peacock tells Scully that this is her home. She also says she doesn't feel pain. It runs in their family. No one feels pain. And she has to check on her boys to see if they've hurt themselves. And Scully asks, what about the car accident? And Mrs. Peacock says that her arm came off. She saw it in her dead husband's lap. And her boys took her home and sewed her up like their family learned in the Civil War. And it felt the same as if she were just making breakfast, which I don't get that thing, but whatever, lady. Anyway, she says they're such good boys. And Scully tells her that her boys murdered Sheriff Taylor and his wife and deputy pastor. And then Mrs. Peacock tells Scully that she can tell that Scully doesn't have children. She doesn't know the pride that you feel when you know that your boy will do anything for you because you're his mother. So hmm, some weird family dynamics going on there. (laughs) Just just a little bit. Mrs. Peacock is played by Karen Knovel, who played Madame Zelma in Clyde Bruckman. And she will actually appear in one more episode of The X-Files after this. Okay. Yeah. In case you were wondering. Yeah. Meanwhile, the peacocks have got all the pigs back into the pen and they're heading back to the house. So Mulder calls for Scully and he shoves the table against the door and then one of them bangs against the door. Mulder fires a warning shot and tells him to stop or he'll fire. But the dude just keeps on banging on the door. And then one of them comes in from behind Mulder. So apparently they got in the house from another direction and hits Mulder with a chair. Scully shoots him, but he just gets right back up and he grabs Mulder. And then the one at the door breaks down the door and he pushes the table aside and then he joins his brother, I'm guessing, and they both grab Mulder. And the first one gets Mulder's gun. And so Scully's like, pow, 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 shoots that guy several times and he drops the gun. But then he gets back up again. And then the other one drags Mulder backwards a little bit, but Mulder manages to kick the dude who's like been shot repeatedly because he had gotten back up. And then Mulder grabs an oil lamp that's on the table and he smashes it over the head of the dude who was dragging him and he breaks free. But then the bulletproof one gets up and hits Mulder. And the other one that had busted down the door grabs an ax. And so Scully's like, I'm going to get the mother and runs towards the bedroom. Like as a, like a diversion, right? Right. One of the ax like goes after Scully and then the bulletproof one takes another swing at Mulder. Mulder dodges, ooh, ducks, and he rolls onto the floor, grabs his gun. And then the big dude rushes at him and Mulder fires. And it's all we see. 
And then the one with the axe runs after Scully, but she like conveniently falls just as he's swinging his axe. Woo, it hits the wall. And then he like runs past her a little bit and it sets off the tripwire and a huge wooden stake whoo, comes down, impales him, pinning him face down on the floor right through his spine. Yeah. Yeah. And so we kind of assume that Mulder actually shot the other brother in the face because the last thing we see is like the dude's face coming at Mulder and then Mulder shoots his gun because apparently shooting him in the body ain't working because apparently they don't feel pain. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. They might die eventually, but they're going to keep coming at you. Yeah. Because at the moment they're like, nope, don't feel nothing. So Mulder's like, what about the other brother, Edmund? And then they notice some scuff marks on the floor and they run to the bedroom and they realize that Mrs. Peacock is gone. No, it's all a diversion. Yeah. So outside, it's a little later, and Mulder tells Scully he's looked everywhere. They're gone. And Scully has had an APB put out on the peacocks, and they're setting up roadblocks in a 30-mile radius. And then we see a white Cadillac parked on the side of the road, and we hear the voice of Mrs. Peacock saying that Sherman and George were good boys, and we should be proud. You can't keep a peacock down. There'll be more, but now we have to move on and start a new family, find a new home. And then the trunk opens and Edmund gets out and he closes the trunk and gets in the driver's seat and he drives down a dirt road. Yeah, I think they were in the trunk together. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing maybe that's a 1959 Cadillac because supposedly that model had the largest trunk of any vehicle ever made. Oh, okay. This according to Nick Knight. So there you go. It is of that time period. I don't, I don't know if it's May 59 or not, but it might be. And that's the end. Well, maybe we don't know. They got away. Is it the end? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Should have been a little question mark <laughs> at the end of that one. Yeah. I mean, they don't actually say the end on the episode. They just say, no, they don't. That's part. us saying the end. Yeah. Thanks, Morgan and Wong. I hate it. I, I mean, hate it a lot. Yeah. We can get into that in a little bit. So I mean, it's just, it's not, yeah. Anyway, Home is the only episode of the X-Files that was banned for repeat by the Fox Network due to its depiction of incest, brutality, and baby murder. It did actually air on repeat and syndication on other networks, including FX, which is where the X-Files was very commonly rerun for a long time. And owned and, by Fox. Yeah. And it still appears on the season four DVD. So it's not like they erased the episode forever and you can never see it. It's just they didn't want it to air as a repeat on the premise. Also, they were fine with airing it the first time. Yeah, I mean, they had a couple issues with it, but yeah, they weren't. I think it was kind of the backlash because there were basically two reactions to this episode. One, that's super scary. That's terrifying. And then the other one was that was really gross. No, thanks. So I mean, those aren't mutually exclusive. No, they're not. They're not. And then the song that's playing in the Peacock's car, both when they go to attack Sheriff Taylor and at the very end, is called Wonderful, Wonderful by Johnny Mathis. And it's featured heavily in the episode, but the version of the show is actually not by Mathis. He reportedly refused to let them use his version after reading the script. But apparently he didn't have rights to like the actual song or something. So they just had a sound alike named Kenny James re-record it for the episode. That's interesting that they went to him because I would think you have just, and it sounds like that's what eventually happened anyway, that they went to him for approval as opposed to just going to the label. Cause I imagine the label is the one who had real control. But yeah. I don't know. I think because they wanted his version with his vocals, but yeah. I wonder if it's one of those things where the label is like, he has say over that, but then whoever, maybe he probably didn't write the song. And so there's songwriter credit and then there's like version credit and you heck you can do one or the other kind of thing. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. Not sure. But yeah, apparently he didn't want to be involved. So they got someone else. Same song, though. (laughs) At least it's not in French. It is not in French this time. It is in English. It is the same song. It's just different singer. Beyond the sea. Somewhere. (laughs) Wait for me. Anyway, so I can't do it in French. Yeah, I don't I do know it with French, French accents. <laughs> Beyond the sea, waiting for me. Anyway, yeah, it's not really French, but I don't know. Whatever. No. 
And Morgan says that while they were working on Millennium, which at that point was suffering from low ratings, they came up with the idea to have Lance Hendrickson find the surviving members of the Peacock family as a sort of crossover. But Fox told them those characters will never appear on television again. So they scrapped that. idea. I guess technically Frank Black would have come across the surviving members of the Peacock family because Lance Hendrickson is the actor who plays. Right. But yeah, you know what they mean, right? Yeah. And that might be me, not Morgan. So <laughs> conflating the two. Yeah. And like, I get what they were trying to do with this episode with like, we want things to stay the same and like the different tacks on that. Cause obviously Sheriff Taylor's tack is to just kind of wish that things wouldn't change whereas the peacocks actively murder to keep things from changing which doesn't work i do think it's fascinating now in terms of like you see these white people who don't want things to change and so like their response is like violence and frothing at the mouth and i do think it's interesting that sheriff taylor happens to be black yes and is murdered yeah he and his wife are both Yes, mm-hmm. it's both black people murdered by these white people yeah. who don't want to change their ways. So that is, you know, relevant today, at least still. Unfortunately. Well, I, I don't I don't think it would have mattered. It wouldn't have. No, it was black. I think no, got murdered anyway. Just because. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. I'm just saying, like, if you're looking at it, like in terms of trying to map on to it's like, not like they didn't kill pastor because he was white. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not saying they're racially motivated. I'm just saying that people like that tend to be. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm not going to like defend this episode and say it's like a super great episode. But like you mentioned, like there were two reactions. One is like, whoa, this was scary. And the other one was like, whoa, this was gross and disgusting. I never want to see it again. And like I said, like, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. It can be both. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's funny because we as a culture have so many hangups about certain things, but then have no problem with other things that are just as bad, if not worse. Oh yeah, totally. So, totally. Like, also, I, I wonder too, and this may be me doing like the armchair psychologist action, you know, whip out my pipe and light it here and say that I wonder, because this isn't really, we've talked about this before. Like this obviously is not an X-File. Right. Yeah, I was going to mention that it's not an X-File at all. But I wonder if some of the pushback on it was incest and baby murder. Yeah, people get up in arms about that. They don't get up in arms about just like randomly shooting people. will take their kids happily to go see like, you know, Mr. Murder number three or whatever. But this one is probably the most realistic. Like this is something that definitely could occur in real life as opposed to aliens and monsters Mm -hmm. and you know guys who come back every so many years to eat livers or whatever and so i wonder if that's something too yeah well and it's just just, like it just touches a little close to home uh uh-huh well because i mean the horrifying thing of like people in town don't like what you're doing and regardless of why that is if you don't lock their door they can just walk right in and beat you to death violently i mean they could probably have Mm -hmm. beat down the door if they had to to be honest but yeah yeah i mean that's terrifying right like that is scary i don't disagree with that assessment (laughs) well even the incest and the baby murder all that kind of stuff that is also real life stuff right that's not like aliens and all that kind of stuff that is stuff that happens we hear about that on the news oh yeah people who are held captive yeah so yeah yes i mean this seems to be a willing instance of it but still yeah so. we're infant side and like you know that's horrific too even if the baby maybe wouldn't have survived maybe that's why they were bearing it because they knew you know based on how it looked that it wasn't going to mm-hmm. live or something like that but it's still horrific like yeah but no, i just think that probably the backlash is like whatever people like i mean i don't know that like, there was a think, backlash think i think backlash wasn't like, is a big word i think well i mean there was obviously some kind of backlash because they were like they pulled it wouldn't show it and all this kind of stuff so there was yeah. something going on but i mean like if you look at the fandom i wouldn't say that there was like a fandom backlash or people weren't you know like they were like that's unsettling they weren't like gross i'm never watching the x-files again you well know? no obviously <laughs> not but i mean obviously something <laughs> happened where fox was like oh we're not showing this again and yeah, oh, like, for well, sure. You showed it the first time. It's not like you never saw it before. 
it's probably angry parents going, my teenager watched this thing and uh, gross. Well, maybe your Don't teenager shouldn't be watching stuff at Friday at nine o'clock. <laughs> maybe. maybe you should be thinking about what your kids are watching. Anyway, again, we have this thing where certain things we get super upset about and certain things we don't. And mm-hmm. okay, whatever. Yeah, so, that's yeah. very true. I mean, yeah, like I said, I don't want to defend this episode of being something super great. But at the same time, I'm going to be like, you know, if you're if, like, this is what you get up in arms about. Maybe you need to like rethink what is important to you, possibly. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that anyone's getting up into arms about it nowadays. And obviously some people did back then, but people back then would get up in arms about all sorts of stuff on TV. Yeah. So I mean, if I want to get up in arms about things, I could get up in arms about the plot because there's a lot of contrivances in the plot for this to work. So one, if they are the super secretive, reclusive, inbred family, they apparently decided to bury the baby outside yeah. of their property for some reason. That's what the I was going to kid- say. Yeah, the kids who know that that's the creepy peacock farm decide to play baseball right next to it where you're probably going to knock a ball into their yard periodically. Like, just just that alone is like, okay, those two parts are like, why is that going on? And then there's lots of other stuff inside too. But like, those are the two big things that stick out of just like how we're making the things that set this in motion are both things like, why did you do that? And why are you doing that? Like, neither of those make sense. Yeah, so. I was going to say, like, if they had just buried it on their property, this mm-hmm. never would have happened because no one would yeah. have found it. And they probably have buried babies on their property before. So why did they go outside the fence and do the field? Was it easier to dig up? Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. And then also, kids, if you're that scared of the house, don't play next to the house because your <laughs> ball's probably going to go on the lawn. Like maybe that's the only open field in home. Pennsylvania. I don't know. I don't think I don't think so. Looking at the surroundings, I don't think. No, so. I know. That's what I mean is there's no way that's true. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a little contrived. I mean, I don't like it because it's partially because it's uncomfortable and partially because it's just like, I just don't, it's gross. Like the poor baby. And then like, just, yeah, the brutal beatings. And then like, yeah, I just don't know. Thanks. No. Yeah. I mean, again, all stuff that is far more real than anything else that we usually get. It's true. It's true. It is more real. Morgan and Wong, because obviously we know that Morgan and Wong have been gone for a season, right? Because their last episode before this was the Hand Diverlets, right? Mm-hmm. In season two. And they were gone for all of season three because they were doing the Space Above and Beyond, which then got mm-hmm. canceled. And they come back. They'll be on X-Files for a little bit. They're going to go to Millennium for a while. So when they came back, things were different in the X-Files world, mm-hmm. right? A season had passed. Different people were there. Chris Carter is starting to work on Millennium, well, has been working on it because it's going to be starting here in just a couple of weeks. He's already started to work on the movie that's going to happen after season five. They're doing pre-production on that. So we've had some people leave. We've had you know, new people show up who don't know who Morgan and Wong are. They may know of them. But they don't know them mm-hmm. and vice versa. And so they felt a little weird coming in. Because obviously they were there with the founding sort of. Right. And then they left and now they're back and no one, everyone's like, who are you again? Like, yeah. Like I said, I, they know who, I mean, obviously. I'm, th- I'm sure they know who they are. Yeah. But it's still weird. You walk back into a workplace and the whole dynamic has changed. It's a little yeah. weird. Yeah. And so part of them writing this was like that kind of thing, like coming home. Right. So like, again, the word home has many, many meanings. For sure. So, for sure. Yeah. So, and they were like, hey, let's just do a banger to get it out. Just get it all on the table. And so part of it was like them kind of feeling like we're back, deal with it kind of action. And then also just like, well, we need to do something. So, yeah. And also this is kind of this type of story, I think is more in their wheelhouse. Than yeah. Oh, it other absolutely X-Files is. Stuff. Yeah, so they do tend to write about like human monsters, and like even if mm-hmm. there's a real monster involved, it's like, but man, is the real monster, you know, yeah, that because they are they, they are our Eugene Tombs guys, right? Mm-hmm. They are, we mentioned Diane de Verlitz, right? That kind of thing. So they are much more into like the human stuff. You know, later they go on to work on the Final Destination movies, they create that whole series of movies, that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. so the horror aspect is probably more of what they are good with even though they tried to create a sci-fi tv show when they left x-files but i think probably they are more comfortable with the horror aspects of Mm -hmm. the genre so yeah and what's interesting so i was searching for stuff about this episode because normally 
I don't seek out other people's reactions until the end of the season. And that's when I'll go through and be like, what did people think of stuff? Mm -hmm. And like, where do we line up? But this episode is pretty notorious in X-Files like world. And so I just was curious, like trying to find out what people think about it now. Like, cause I know kind of what people thought at the time, but now I'm just like, what do people think these days? Who in the fandom likes it? It seems like a lot of people it's like, it's very hit or miss. People either really like it and think it's scary and creepy and really well done, or people just don't like it. Seems to be very like one or the other. But I came across an excerpt from Monsters of the Week, the critical complete companion to the X-Files mm-hmm. that actually had the article that Emily Todd Vanderwerf wrote about this episode. And she was saying that a lot of people complain about the humor bits in the episode, like when Mulder holds up the paper with Elvis or the little jokes, you know, at Scully and like when Scully's when they're joking around. These are the same people who probably go woo woo crazy over all of Darren Morgan stuff. Well, but like they complain because it apparently the complaint is that it ruins the horror aspect because the people who like this episode really like the gritty horror realism of it. And so that kind of, they say, kind of not ruins it, but, you know, just kind of takes you out of that for but a that's minute. that's a whole so part of horror that. is to balance it like that. That is one of the... Yeah. I'm just saying that this is what she was saying in her article. And I thought that was fascinating because, like, I don't really like this episode, not because it scares me or anything, just because I don't really like it. But I did think that was kind of a fascinating point that people who really like it seem to really like it for the dark, gritty horror and they don't really want the humor. Whereas for me, like the jokes were the best part. I was like, okay, I'm in for that. But everything else. The Mulder baseball (laughs) thing was completely like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I don't know what he was doing. He was was very distracted. Yeah, he was just not paying attention at all. And also, like, where did that ball come from? That ball might be evidence, Mulder. What are you doing? (laughs) I mean, not that he has a thing against touching evidence, but yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he is good. I mean, like when he grabs the scissors, he doesn't, he doesn't have gloves on, but he's using the evidence bag to pick them up so Mm -hmm. that they're like enclosed. Right. But then, yeah, no, I like the, the little pouty face he makes with the Elvis paper was, I love that so much. It was, it was so good. It was so good. Because we know he has a thing about Elvis. Yeah, he does. He's always talking about Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, there was just an old Elvis paper from 1977, I guess that would have been. Sitting on top of a stack of bunch of papers and right there. Yeah, Elvis <laughs> there you go. Good little joke. Oh, yeah. But he's all, oh no. And then he's all mm. bottom lip like, all no, stuck this out. Is dead. <laughs> yeah. It was good. It was good. I, yeah, I love those parts. I thought those parts were really good. So, but I get why if you're looking for something dark and gritty and brutal, like maybe you don't want that in there. I don't know. I know. The thing is, that part isn't even part of the dark and brutal stuff. It's not like someone like put an axe on someone's head and like made like a non sequitur kind of like, you know. No, but, but it. I guess it breaks the tension for them when they're searching. If it had been like more like, oh, what's going to happen, you know, kind of. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. I know people complain about weird stuff. I complain. I'm sure when I complain about stuff, people are like, what are you complaining <laughs> about? That's nuts. You're... So, yeah. I mean, everyone's got their things yeah. for sure. So, you know. Yeah. Okay. So we kind of know I can, I'm, 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 I'm guessing a range here of where you're going to go with your rating. Yeah. So I think I'm going to give this one a four because okay. it's not the worst thing the X-Files has ever done. It's not like so horrific or over the top or gross that i'm like ew whatever but like it just i don't really want to watch it again i thought like again there are those good moments of humor i thought those are really fun it's not my bag it's not my type of episode so i get why people like it i totally understand the appeal i get why fox got complaints about it and we're like okay we're not re-airing this on repeat but like you know whatever you know it's not my thing but i think a four is about where it falls for me okay they do need to think about like what people look like who might have inbreeding birth defects a little bit. Cause one, yeah, that cause one little, guy yeah. looks like a cross between like Chaka and a Frankenstein monster. He's got like a big old brow ridge and big giant forehead. And like the, the bigger guy, the guy who, who I called was like the bulletproof dude who kept getting shot and just kept getting back up and attacking Mulder. He's got longer stringier hair like a cross between like meatloaf and like chainsaw massacre kind of thing is what I have going on with him. (laughs) And then the, the other dude, Edmund, the one who survives and goes off with Mrs. Peacock. He has like a weird, like almost like Nosferatu, like bald sunken skin kind of look Mm -hmm. going on. 
And I'm like, I'm not sure that that's how birth defects were. I don't know. But yeah, anyway. So, yeah. So that was a little weird. I think that was just more of like they were doing monster makeup is what they were doing, really. Yeah. So, basically, they probably gave the makeup artist to like just make them look weird. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. So Mrs. Peacock, Mrs. Peacock probably has the most accurate possible. And also she's messed up from being that accident, too. But in the photos, right, they do yeah. see that she has some like, you know, her nose is kind of off and that kind of stuff. So I'm assuming like all her missing teeth and messed up mouth are from the accident, probably because she doesn't look like she has that in the photos. So I was probably thinking you were maybe going to go three ish on this one. So four is a little I mean, it, it was in the range I was thinking, but it, I think you probably gave it a little more than I was thinking you were going. So. I, hmm, I'm not sure what I want to go. I'm going to go with a six. Okay. It might be a five. I'm not really sure. Um, But like I said, I don't think it was a bad episode. I don't think it was a good episode. Part (laughs) of me giving it a six might be my built-in contrarianism of like, oh, you guys are going to complain about this. Well, here you go. This is what I think. Well, a lot so, of the fandom does like it. They just think it's yeah. scary. So it's yeah. not that people. I don't know that it was really even scary. But, but um, yeah. Yeah. So we should also yeah. mention that this episode, according to production numbers, was actually the third episode as far mm-hmm. as production numbers. This was 4X03. 4X02 actually doesn't appear until episode four. So yeah, yeah. So, there might have been some out of order yeah, filming. This is this is this is the season where we start getting some out of order filming. So, mm-hmm. but storyline wise, well, I guess storyline wise, this one could probably go anywhere. There's nothing really that. Connects. Yeah, I mean, it's a monster of the week. It doesn't really connect yeah. to the larger plot, other than maybe if you're trying to look at a timeline like we used to try and do. I think we gave up, but like where you like you're trying to figure out where does this fall? Like, yeah, well, we don't get that any might dates. screw it up. We didn't. Yeah, we, and we didn't really get any get dates, dates in the last one. Heron Volk either. We've got some times we didn't get dates. So I don't know if they're going to, if they decide to ditch dates, which I mean, would kind of be smart, honestly, because then you don't have to worry about them getting yeah, messed up. Otherwise you're like, why do three episodes take place in like one day? Yeah, How did or that this, is, this can't yeah. be the same day. What are you talking about? Kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So the one weird thing that I thought, especially coming off of last episode was in the very beginning when Mulder's talking about like, oh, this brings back memories of me and my sister. And it was like right after I know. the big thing with the sister. And so that, that seemed a little like. Mm, would he really be that just like nostalgic about all that? Maybe but, he's not nostalgic. Maybe he's thinking about all those clones of his sister up in Canada. And then it's messing that with there's enough head. of them for a baseball team, a baseball team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what's going on in his brain. That's why he can't I am going to go silly, move cause... up to rural Canada in Alberta <laughs> and start a girl's baseball team. Right. It doesn't have to be softball. They can play baseball, a girl's baseball team. And it's going to be all clones of my sister. <laughs> And we'll just, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. You gotta have goals. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Oh. All right. Well, I don't really have anything else about this. It was all right. It was fine. I mean, I gave it a six. So really, like I say, I think it's more yeah. than all right. I guess all right has a range in there. Four to six probably is a good Yeah, right, it so. does. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's not my favorite. Personally, it's just not my thing. But yeah. yeah. I don't think I mean it's not really I don't know I don't I don't like I said I don't even know that I would consider this horror it was more like just yeah like gross, well I maybe but, horrific is a better word because like yeah it's got a little bit of like deliverance going on it's got a little mm-hmm. bit of like chainsaw master going on a little bit we're not sure what they're doing with pastor's body are they chopping it up because they're gonna eat it is that what or are they just beating on it because they're like wild animals right i don't know you only get to see what they're really yeah. doing so obviously they'd have no trouble like beating the crap out of living people so would you beat the crap out right. of so corpse? Clearly that's so not a moral qualm of theirs yeah yeah and then given the giant wooden stake and then the flintstone looking clubs i'm guessing that's when when Mulder was talking about there were wood chips they must have like just carved that club out of like a piece of wood so, yeah, yeah, probably. They didn't go buy a baseball bat down at the Walmart. Yeah. They they made that themselves. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I don't have anything else. No, me neither. All right. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you think of home because I'm super curious about what other people think of this episode. I couldn't find a lot, but yeah, let me know. As you guys know, I don't care. So yeah, you can tell me. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. 
I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. That's right. We made this. We also make a Patreon-only X-Files adjacent podcast that you should definitely check out. But whatever you do, be sure to join us next time for the X-Files Season 4, Episode 3, Taliko. As we try to figure out if the the truth truth is is still out there. sure to join us next time for the next episode which i'm going to say again in the credits but yeah you're going to say that in the credits we don't need to say (laughs) okay all right but there is that urge there is that urge right like every time you want more stuff check out our patreon yeah i'm gonna say that in the credits too all right